Optophobia, the fear of opening one's eyes. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging you, our listeners, to move beyond that fear, to solve riddles they don't want us to unriddle, to investigate supposedly ironclad truths, to unearth evidence buried for so long they believed it would stay buried. Season 4. It's likely you've never heard of the most important movie of 1989. That's because in the end, Relentless was just another forgotten 1980s slasher film. But director William Lustig's original plan could have changed cinematic history forever. Lustig flavored his movie with enough subliminal messaging to spark mass murder by hundreds of wannabe serial killers sitting in the nation's theaters that summer. Why didn't it work? And why is Lustig still taking lunch meetings in Hollywood rather than rotting in jail? This season on Optophobia, we'll track down the distortions, the assumptions, the omissions. Are you bored by the lies? Open your eyes. Hi, everybody, and welcome to season four of Optophobia. I'm your host, Frank Lorenzo. If you're a regular listener, an optophobe, you'll remember that in season two, we focused our attention on the West. We were looking at the deep state, a 51st state buried underneath the Colorado-Wyoming border that secretly pulls the levers of the U.S. federal government. This season, we're going to look even farther west, all the way to the City of Angels, Tinseltown, La La Land. Hollywood is defined by striving and ambition. Young, talented actors, writers, directors making their way west to find fame and fortune in the sunshine. But Hollywood has its seamy underbelly, and that's the side of Tinseltown we are going to explore in season four. So we will get more deeply into that in a minute. But before we do, I want to introduce my two co-hosts for this season, Lydia Coffee-Mate and Jeffrey Dahmer. Guys, thanks so much for being my co-hosts this season. Um, just can you make sure that you hit the L? Oh, did I? What did I say? Uh, you said Jeffrey Dahmer, I think. It's Jeffrey oh. Dahmer. 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 I, I just, I'm just very sensitive about that. Yes. I, that's one thing I wanted to ask you about that I can see why yeah. you would be sensitive. Dahmer. Yeah, Dahmer. Okay. Thank you for... And, and Lydia... Could you pronounce your name for us correctly? Of course, yeah. It's Coffee Mate. Is my last name. First name is Lydia. Is that hyphenated, Coffee Mate? No, it's just it's all one fancy last name. A lot of people forget the accent. Is the accent on the where is it on the O or on an A? Uh, it's on the E at the end. Coffee, Coffee Mate. Mate. Well, thank you both for spending this time this season with us. I had nothing better to do. Okay. Well, nevertheless, we're happy to have you. I actually had a lot better to do. I'm now a home chef cooking at my, cooking at my house. So. Well, yeah, let's talk a little bit about each of your uh, lives. Tell us a little bit, Lydia, about what you do. You're a home chef? Oh, yeah. So, you know, 
currently, I feel like I had nothing to do at home. I was like tired of watching all those Hallmark movies. So I figured I would like, you know, sizzle something up in the pan. And so my life partner, Christian, and I have just gotten really busy in the kitchen. And the other day I was making cereal stuff bars. And so what you do is real simple. So you have all, you know, you have like a bunch of leftover cereals. Sure. Like just like some Kellogg's and some Raisin brands and Frosty Flakes and whatever. And so you take them all out and like when they're leftover and stale, and then you add a little marshmallow, a little peanut butter, make your bars. You got some cereal stuff bars right there. Easy. Doesn't that make the uh, the bars taste stale? No. See, the thing is, the key is that it, the cereal itself is a little bit stale because it holds up to the integrity when it's mixed up with the hot, hot marshmallow and the hot, hot peanut butter. But it's still stale cereal. It's not becoming unstale just because you put sugar on it. I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm just, that's the key. It's the trick. It's always been my trick of the trade for the last, you know, three weeks since I started home cooking. You have a life partner, you said. What What does that mean? He's my partner in crime. He's my partner in life. And he's my, my lover, my significant other, and my my flirty friend, and my betrothed. The, are you saying your husband? We don't like to use labels such as husband and wife. They have negative connotative stigmas and things like that. So we mostly just like to call each other partners in life. That's a label itself, isn't it? Well, it's our own fun little label. Okay. But you just said you don't like labels, but you just use a label. So it's kind of contradictory and nothing. I hear what you're saying, but that's just what we've been doing for the last couple of weeks. I just, Lydia, hypocrites get me so riled up. So I'm, I will do you're going to have a, a, a ethics stick to it. Let's try to keep, keep this going a little bit. Uh, Lydia, you said that you're a home chef. Does that mean you are a home chef for other people or just in your home? Just for me and my husband. Well, see, now you got me all messed up here, Jeffrey. She almost said husband. I almost did because you got my brain all mixed up like the marshmallows and peanut butters in the cereal bars. Anyway, my life partner and I, we just been getting to cooking. And so, Yes, I like to cook for us. No, it's not anything. I don't make any financial stipends or anything from my home cooking. And most of this is uh, sort of snack food? Particularly, yes. Um, I do like to indulge in a, in a real meal now and then. Something that sticks sticks to your ribs, if you say. <laughs> but Marshmallows stick to your ribs. They're gelatinous. So. They're actually, you know, because they're so sugary... They slide all the way down. They don't get too stuck. It's a common misconception. Mm. Do you do a lot of like cooking or baking? Because what you described before it sounded like a bake. Do you cook? Well, I guess what is the definition of cooking and baking? Like I use the top of the stove. I use the oven. All of the above. Baking kind of traditionally means everything is baked. So it goes in the oven. Where cooking is done on top of the stove. Well, sometimes the things I cook on top of the stove have to then go into the oven for the finished part of the cooking process. Okay, technically that's cooking then. I hear what you're saying. Lydia, where do you live? Currently, uh, I'm back in my hometown of Bella Vista, Arkansas. We've been living here, you know, for about four years now since I left Hollywood. So before you were a home chef, you had a career in Hollywood. You you went from Arkansas to Hollywood and now you're back. Exactly that. I live in, in Los Angeles. I've never heard of you. Well, I, I wasn't anybody super famous. I was an assistant to a lot of different stars, to a lot of different directors. Uh, and I did have a couple cameos because um, my legs, they don't have fibia and the tibula. I'm sorry, what? 
the two bones in your legs. They're called the tibia and the fibula. Your legs don't have either of those? No, they're actually made up of, of, of just a bunch of metatarsals, which are the bones in your toes. You have toe legs. I have toe legs. Yes, you've looked it up. I've heard of that before. Wow, okay. There's, uh, okay, this is new for me. So what I do is I can twist my legs a couple times around. And that was always something, you know, that directors and actors and stuff, when I was helping them out on their films, they noticed that that was a skill of mine. And so would try to integrate it into films every once in a while. Okay. Wow. That's, oh my God. You said you were an assistant for some of these celebrities. Were you a chef for them or were you more of a general assistant? More general. I would, I would go and if they forgot their lines. I would go and grab their scripts for them and I would help them with those kind of things. And I also did a lot of like running around errands. I mean, I tell you what, Dom DeLuise, so needy, (laughs) really, really needy. Like just constantly like had me pick all the little hairs out of his beard trimmer. It was like, why? Just dump them out in the trash. He had me put them in a Ziploc bag. It's very strange. You shouldn't put your DNA in the trash. That's a pretty sloppy cleanup if you're just putting your DNA in the trash. You should really, like, truly clean the room. Either burn the hairs so that there's no trace or swallow the hairs. I actually burned some hairs recently when I was cooking up. They're not ants on a log. They're called craisins on a carrot. And I was cooking up some of those, and I actually, I was giving a little, like, a real roasty taste, and I burnt myself, and some of my arm hairs smelled something awful. Lydia, you mentioned Dom DeLuise. Were there other celebrities that you worked for? Yeah, so I was, I really hopped around. I I liked working with certain celebrities, but I didn't, like, commit to anybody for too long. Um, I worked with Emilio Estevez and Eric Stolls, and I said Dom DeLuise, and Cher, God, she was so nice. <laughs> she even let me try on some of her wigs sometimes. And uh, Liam Neeson and Frances McDormand. Wow. So you were an assistant to all of those people. Yeah. So when one kind of like got tired of me or like I would trip because of my legs, my toe legs, I would trip a lot. And so sometimes, you know, I was going to bring people stuff and I would just get a little tumbly. And so then they would just have me move on to somebody else and just pass me around. <laughs> I was under the impression that toe legs were actually more sturdy because all of the different metatarsals fitting together. But does it make you more clumsy? So it really depends um, on the shoes I wear. Uh, If I wear just a plain flat shoe, I'm definitely a lot more stable. But anytime I'm like half an inch off the ground, I just get a little more wobbly. Uh, But I can see the logic of what you're saying. That makes that makes some sense. I have to do some research and in further into the toe leg community and see how other people are working out. Hmm. Well, let's turn to Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey, tell us a little about yourself. You said you live in LA. Yeah, I live in LA. Um, you know, city of dreams, um, or or is it the city of angels? I think it's both. Either. Okay. Well, yeah, I live in LA, um, Las Feliz. I live in the house I grew up with uh, my mom, but she passed away some years back. I'm sorry. Well, don't be too sorry. She had Munchausen syndrome. So what what is that? That's a syndrome where um your uh, parent or guardian will on purpose make you sick so that they can take care of you so they can feel needed. I see I always get confused between Munchausen and my Munchausen's by proxy. What is, what do you mean by proxy? There's a difference, but I don't know what it is. Well, I don't know the difference. All I know is that all of my soups tasted like bleach. Oh, uh, that's interesting. Your soup that you made or your the soup your mom made? No, when I was growing up, the food my mom would make 
always tasted and smelled a lot like the bathroom cleaner that we used. That actually may have been from like some old vegetable stock. I've noticed that in some of my home cooking as well. Well, as the person who went through my mom's cooking, I don't I don't like that a home chef is telling me what I tasted and what I smelled. No, I hear what you're saying. I'm pretty sure if I if I take soup and I throw it against the wall and like the mold spots on my bathroom start to disappear, that's because there's bleach in the soup. That sounds about right. Jeffrey, so you live in L.A. Did you grow up in L.A.? Yeah, I grew up here in Los Feliz. Uh, uh, went to uh, high school here, college, at the community college. Um, haven't, haven't really left. Uh, uh, I work at uh, the Hollywood Video here. Do they still have those? It's uh, So everyone talks about the last um, blockbuster, but no one talks about the last Hollywood video. You're at the last Hollywood video on planet Earth? Yeah. The last Hollywood video, they thought it'd be funny if it was in Hollywood. I don't think it's very funny. I think it's funny. <laughs> Do customers still come into Hollywood video? Most of the people who come in are, you know, you know, when you go to a bar, have you ever seen the show Cheers where you have regulars? Oh God, I love that show. Yeah. So it's like that. The people who come in, they're regulars um, and they are usually like, hey, hey, Dolmer, uh, would you would you get anything new in today in the back? And by the back, they mean the adult film section. Uh, so adult film section is pretty much keeping us afloat right now um, with the rentals. Because people tend to go to a store to rent adult videos still more than just going to the internet. Yeah. Well, if you want a high quality, uh, like a high quality HD experience, you still have to go to a brick and mortar porn shop and Hollywood video is nothing more than masquerading around as a video store when it's really just, I mean, if you came into Hollywood video, you'd see we have a way bigger selection of adult films than any other DVD titles in there. Interesting. Do you have any of the adult films on Blu-ray? Almost all of our catalog has been transitioned from VHS to Blu-ray. So that's nice. I have to tell Christian, we might need to order some of those online. I'll admit I've watched a lot of them. They kind of make you be familiar with all of the, videos that you uh, are selling at the Hollywood video in case someone comes in and asks you a question. So I've had to watch over 3,900 hours of uh, adult film. Oh, wow. I've also seen some of the the newest releases of movies. I don't find those to be as interesting. Now, my only question is, do you watch those movies at like home on your own time? Or do you like, do you have like a section in the back where you go and you can like have a pleasure booth? No, I'm I'm at work when I'm at work. So I just put it up on the TVs that are scattered around the uh, perusing area makes sense because then i'm also seeing like from different like views different perspectives but it's just easier that way i don't have to go to the back i can still watch the register and stuff and that's probably what the regulars expect at this point right i got yelled at because i was watching um seven pounds uh that terrible movie that will smith made you think it's terrible it's horrendous and i i was watching it and a customer a regular named tommy came in and he said when when did they get naked? Like he kept asking that. I said, that's not what this, this movie is actually a, a a movie that was released, you know, to the masses. Like it's not an adult film. And he was like, okay, but it's called seven pounds. I thought it was like the, the weight of his penis. And I was like, no, that's not, that's not what this is. And he filed a grievance. I, I'm surprised you know about that. He did uh, file a grievance with my manager. And so my manager now is kind of stipulated that, we need to be playing adult films at, uh, at all times. Let's take a, a quick break and we will be right back with my guests for today and uh, your co-hosts for the season, Lydia coffee Mate and Jeffrey Dahmer. We'll be right back. Hey, optophobes. 
I want you to close your eyes for a second so we can do some culinary time traveling. You're a nine-year-old. It's summer. You've been out in the neighborhood goofing around with your friends all morning, and you can hear your mom calling you in for lunch. On the one hand, you're starving, so a sandwich would be great. On the other, you really don't want to stop throwing matches in gasoline-filled tennis ball cans and kicking them over in the creek so you and your friends can watch fire travel downstream like an angry orange and blue worm. But your growling stomach wins the argument, and as you walk home, you determine to chow your sandwich and chug your Coke as fast as you can so you can rejoin your pyro buddies. You start fantasizing about the possibility of stuffing the entire sandwich into the Coke, downing that, and then getting back out to Worm Fire Creek. But your mom puts the kibosh on that idea. Bummer. Okay, now you can open your eyes. Blend Venom Solutions introduces Meat Pops, our new line of lunch meat-flavored venom-infused sodas. Why struggle through lunch eating and drinking? The last thing you need is to be exhausted just as the afternoon begins. Instead, just open up a mandarin orange pork roll blast, a mortadella ginger ale drizzle, or a watermelon turkey cola, and you won't have to interrupt your day. And each meat pop is infused with the venom of a different snake to give your afternoon that extra oomph. For instance, pomegranate ham punch includes venom from Australia's eastern brown snake. Get your hands on a meat pop today. Blend Venom Solutions. We take away your thirst using snakes. Hey, we are back with our guests this week, my co-hosts for the season, Lydia coffee Mate and Jeffrey Dahmer. So I want to just spend a few minutes setting the scene for season four. In 1989, on the heels of his star-making turn in the Brat Pack movies, Breakfast Club and St. Elmo's Fire, Judd Nelson chose a role aimed at expanding his range as an actor. Director William Lustig cast Nelson as Buck Taylor in Relentless. Buck is the son of a legendary LAPD cop who couldn't follow in his father's footsteps. Unable to get into the police academy, Buck begins killing people instead. But that's just where our story begins. In her classic essay, Some Dreamers of the Golden Dream, Joan Didion wrote about what she called, quote, a story about love and death in the golden land. The essay is about a murder, but it really tells a story about what Didion called, quote, an alien place, not the coastal California of subtropical twilights and the soft westerlies off the Pacific, but a harsher California. It's that harsher California, the darker side of Hollywood, that interested William Lustig in the 1980s. After cutting his teeth directing some low-budget slasher films and hardcore porn like The Violation of Claudia and Hot Honey, Lustig decided to try something different. He would go mainstream. He would try to make a big-budget movie that moved people, specifically serial killer people. Relentless is the only known movie designed to promote and encourage would-be serial killers to get off the couch and start the murderous rampages they've always had inside of them. 
Using his knowledge of serial killer psychology, Lustig placed subliminal messaging throughout Relentless, believing such images and dialogue would turn moviegoers into pathological liars with a grandiose sense of self-worth who harbored dreams of elaborately planned murder in the service of abnormal psychological gratification. Relentless had a budget of $4 million and made $7 million, so financially it was considered successful. Even so, the movie barely broke into the box office top 10 the Labor Day weekend it opened. More importantly for Lustig's dreams, Relentless was so bad, it motivated only the most incompetent serial killer wannabes, none of whom was able to successfully eviscerate or decapitate or even strangle anybody. This season, we'll talk to people whose lives were touched somehow by Relentless and its lack of effect on the wider serial killer culture in America. We'll also try to find out why Lustig is still a free man and taking lunch meetings in Hollywood. Just because the people who heard his dog whistle were inept doesn't mean Lustig's malevolent plan should have been ignored by the justice system. Our producers invited our two co-hosts for this season to join that discussion because of their own roles in the relentless story. So let's go back to Lydia and Jeffrey to talk about those roles. So Lydia, tell us about your connection specifically to relentless. So as you know, I was an assistant to the stars, right? That was my title. I put it on every resume. And at that time I was working under Paul Hertzberg who was one of the producers for the film. Paul Hertzberg was a producer on Relentless. Yes. Okay. I was working with him. And so I was very, you know, I was there on the set of the film. And it was, I'm not going to lie, it was a pretty spooky environment. The movie itself is super dark. Super dark. But I was mostly just responsible for dealing with Paul, excuse me, Mr. Hertzberg's errand running, anything he needed. Uh, I did run and grab um, some sushi rolls, some some maki rolls for for Judd one time. Um, he was very appreciative. But yeah, so that was my connection to the movie itself. Did you do one of your cameos in Relentless? I don't remember seeing you in there. So it's actually really funny. There is there is one part. I actually, they may have edited it out, um, but I have the uncut version on Blu-ray. I, got, I, I had it in VHS, and then I got it switched over to DVD, and then since I've had it moved to uh, Blu-ray. But so there's this one part where they're like, they're all looking up all those names in the phone book and like you can see my name, like my actual name as like they're, they're going through the phone book oh. and they skip over Lydia coffee, Mate and then go to the, one of the actual victims. So oh, wow. I'm technically in it. My face is not in it. My legs are not in it. Oh, so this was not one of the movies where your legs. No, this wasn't one of those. Hmm. And when you say it was sort of a dark atmosphere, a dark movie, but also kind of a spooky atmosphere on the set, what kind of examples do you have? So there was a lot of when they were doing takes. And again, I was only there working for Paul, so I didn't see on the film set every day. But so when I was there watching, like if they if they didn't do the scene exactly in the way that 
Lesvig wanted, he had them do that in a way that like almost like set a kind of trance. Like it made it feel like there was like almost like a hypnosis kind of going on. And Judd Nelson and and Robert Lo, Lo, what is it? What was his last name? Logia? Logia? Robert Logia. Robert Logia, yeah, yeah. So when they were like going, it was like everybody was just kind of like in a trance. Wow, that is spooky. Yeah. Jeffrey, what about you? What is your connection to Relentless? Well, I mean, I work at Hollywood Video and um, Relentless uh, has been one of those uh, movies that they've made us push every day since I've been working there. And I didn't understand why until I came across this uh, conspiracy. And I said, oh, this makes sense. Every time someone comes in and buys a movie, I also have to say, hey, would you like to check out this movie, Relentless? Oh, really? So they push it that hard? Yeah. And then uh, someone says no. And then in our training, they said, you need to be relentless in your pushing of the movie Relentless. And I would say, are you sure? It's free. You can just try it for free. You don't even have to bring it back. People still said no, and then at that point, I just put the movie in their bag without them knowing. So then they get home, and they open it up, and they're like, oh, I got this. Oh, he gave me the run on this movie for free, I guess. Uh, and then they end up watching it. I didn't know, though, that I was technically taking part. <sighs> this is the part that bothers me so much. I hate when people take advantage of me. I didn't know I was taking part in helping get this message out there for people to start becoming serial killers. I, I had no idea about that. I don't think that you should blame yourself. This is clearly something that, well, I uh, do Frank. I do. Well, one question I do have for you, Jeffrey, you said that you said they pushed this kind of marketing effort on you at Hollywood video. Who is the, they that you're talking about? Uh, you're asking the same question. The investigators asked me. Oh, so you've been questioned. Yeah. Because I keep telling them that, uh, they would come to me when I worked the night shift at Hollywood Video. And he said, well, we reviewed the tapes and there was no one else there in the store with you. And I say, yes, they were. They were there talking to me just because you can't see them. They don't like cameras. The authorities were trying to find out who the they, who was pushing this on you. And they would look at the video surveillance and they wouldn't see anybody, even though you had specific recollections of. Yeah, even though I was having a full on conversation on the video. There was no one else on the videos, but what they don't understand is it's all real. What happened, who I was talking to. I, I, I think you're thinking that I, I meant they, as in my managers or like corporate. No, they, they hate that fucking movie. Oh, that's who I was thinking you were talking about. No, no, no. These were the, um, these were, uh, other people. These were the other people who nobody could see except for you. Yeah. That were pushing relentless. They were, they were, uh, Telling me that I had to get people to watch Relentless. Interesting. <sighs> See, and you know what I will say real quick is the only thing. So when I was on the set, like, yeah, things felt, felt like kind of eerie just because of some of the things, of course, I mentioned. But really it didn't sink in for me how strange the things were in Relentless until I started working on the movie Dark Man. I was the assistant to Francis McDormand and Liam Neeson both. Oh, what a workload. Yeah. During the movie Dark Man, which was came out a year later. So Lustig, I don't know if you know this, he was actually in Dark Man as a as an extra. He was called Dock Worker Number Four. And that was really where I started noticing more of the freaky stuff related to Relentless. So the weirdness from Relentless followed 
to the Dark Man set. Yes. And you think Dock Worker number four had something to do with that? Absolutely. That's interesting. So it's interesting that he went from directing a big Hollywood movie to playing Dock Worker number four. What I kind of think is that he was trying to infiltrate, is that he had. He, he ha- had the perspective of what it was like to be a director and at, at the big seat and like how to control and how to like give these messages on like a larger scale. And then I think he kind of like got tired and then wanted to like go back down small scale in like a small seat and kind of like be one-on-one with like the actors and the extras and like people like me. Yeah. I forgot to mention, Bill came into a Hollywood video once. Oh, so you've met William Lustig. Yeah, he goes by Bill. You've met Bill Lustig. Yeah, I've met him. He came in and and I said, "Um, are you here for uh, the hentai? Hmm. And um, he said, no, I'm here to talk to you about my movie. And I said, what movie? Relentless? And And he said, yeah. He said, well, they've already talked to me. And he said, oh, so you're pushing my movie. And I said, well, I am, but I, I don't like the movie. It's not a good movie. Robert Loja is creepy as fuck. Sure that. And um, he he kind of got loud with me, got kind of kind of excitable. And um, let's just say uh, he's not he's not allowed back in Hollywood video. Well, this is a lot to uh, to gnaw on, I think, for the rest of the season. You guys are clearly have some great insider information about this movie. I'm really excited to have both of you with me as we talk to our guests and try to get their stories. I think it'll help a lot that you have your own stories. Of- I have one more thing I was supposed to do. Um, they told me they wanted me to do this. Uh, you guys should watch the movie Relentless. Okay. Uh, all right. So let's leave it there for now. I just wanted to say, if I wanted to get the Blu-ray of Relentless, can I order that from Hollywood Video Online, Jeffrey? Uh, yeah, but you have to pick it up in person. Oh, that's going to be a long trip. We can't afford to send movies. We're the last Hollywood Video. We, we are literally just a brick and mortar. It's all right. I've been using, I've been spending a lot of money on my credit cards. I've been racking up my miles, so I'll make the trip. You can rent the video online. As in watching it online. If, if you want a, a Blu-ray physical copy, though, you have to come get it. Yeah, I definitely want the physical copy, so I'll come get it. Okay. Okay. I want to thank our guests this week and my co-hosts for this season, Lydia Coffee mate and Jeffrey Dahlmer. With an L. With an L. Thank you. E with an, with an accent. E with an accent. L with an L sound. Please join us next week when our guest will be Giles Forncate a storage system designer from Nelly, Ohio, who collects rare, classic, relentless action figures. Thank you for listening to Optophobia. I am Frank Lorenzo, and I will leave you with this. Ignore your limitations only when the rooster crows at noon. If you've got a connection to Relentless, we'd like to hear it. You can find us on our website, optophobia.org, or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at at Optophobes. And please subscribe and rate the show if you like it. Thank you to Aaron Murray, who played Lydia Coffey Mate. Aaron performs with Madeline, a Washington Improv Theater house ensemble, and The Lodge. Follow her on Instagram at at Yearny B. Murray. Thank you to Jamal Newman, who played Jeffrey Dahmer, 
Jamal performs with Lena Dunham, a Washington Improv Theater house ensemble, and Nixon. You can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at at Hello Newman and find him at jamalnewman.com. Optophobia was produced by Tim Townsend. Music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Cover art by Claire Smalley. Additional website art by Nicole Bennett. Website by Chance Griffin. Thanks for listening. Until next week, keep them open. Mm-hmm.